Folks, that's all we got. That's all we got. But what more would you want? What more? There is nothing that could matter but Christ eternally. Hallelujah. We do have Christ, a Savior for all who will believe. Turn to Ezekiel chapter 37. Some of you PBC old-timers will remember 2002, uh, R.F. Gates uh, from Texarkana, Shreveport, Shreveport, came and did a seminar and taught us some evangelism, and he used Ezekiel 37, the first 14 verses. Uh, And I thought we would look at it before we go to the New Testament and go over the work of the Holy Spirit in salvation. You know, we talk some about the sovereignty of God, a whole lot about the cross of Jesus, and not very much at all about the Holy Spirit and the work of the Spirit. So... Uh, You see, I've entitled the sermon, How Can These Bones Live? I've added how to the question that God asked Ezekiel in chapter 37. But really, I want to emphasize the work of the Holy Spirit in the conversion of a dead sinner. Uh, The background for Ezekiel 37 is that the Jewish nation is desolated. Uh, Ezekiel is part of the group of the exiles in Babylon. There's nothing in Israel uh, of uh, remnants, no remnants of the nation of Israel. They're all captive in Babylon, far from home. And so the Lord takes Ezekiel. Often the Lord will bring his prophet to a mountain in the sense of looking down upon his work in in his world well what he does here in Ezekiel is he takes him way down into the valley the valley of exile the place of death from which they must be delivered God says before he will bring them back Uh, Actually, 36, in Ezekiel 36, verses 26 and 27, promise the return. It goes a little bit farther than, it goes quite a bit farther than that. But look at verse 26, as he's talking about putting a new spirit within the nation of Israel. He says, and I will give you a new heart. A new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And then what God does is he shows him how that will happen in Chapter 37, the first 14 verses. I'm going to read the first 10. Let's read the first 10 verses together. Then we'll pray. We'll walk through this passage and then we'll move to the New Testament. The hand of the Lord was upon me 
Ezekiel says, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley. And behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. He said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with sin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound to behold a rattling of, and the bones came together, bone to to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me. And the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Let's pray before we uh, continue. Father, we sing, all is vain unless the Spirit comes down, and we ask that you would send your Spirit to us. You would give us ears to hear, minds and hearts to understand and take in your truths. Your word is powerful. It's alive, sharper than a two-edged sword, and we pray that you would pierce our hearts with it, that your spirit would do his work of showing us our motivations and the intents that are deep inside. Expose us, we pray. Show us your glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So in the first couple of verses here, uh, there is nothing but death. Um, Ezekiel is surrounded by dry bones, Bones everywhere. There's no glimmer of life. There's no chance that there's someone there who has just a little bit of breath in them. They are uh, not, it's not dead corpses. It is very dry bones being bleached out in the desert. Uh, You know, in Scripture we see resuscitations, but we only see resuscitations of corpses not bones. We have a a different situation here than, I believe, in all of Scripture physically. But as God walks Ezekiel through, he asks that that question in verse 3. 
can these bones live? Back in chapter 11, uh, God is speaking with Ezekiel, asking him to deliver a message to the people that judgment is coming on the wicked counselors, those who are refusing God's will. And in verse 13, Ezekiel says in chapter 11, 13, it came to pass while I was prophesying that Pelatiah, the son of Benaiah, died. Then I fell down on my face and cried out with a loud voice and said, Ah, Lord God, will you make a full end of the remnant of Israel? You're going to kill us all? Well, this vision here, it seems the answer is yes. (laughs) Ezekiel, look at the bones. They're all strewn over the valley floor. God's people have been destroyed by sin. They've rejected him. And instead of just saying, yeah, it looks like it, Lord, uh, Ezekiel answers, can these bones live? Ezekiel, "Um, Lord, you know. I know you can do it, but will you do it? And we find that the answer is yes. The question that's not asked is what I put on the front of your bulletin, and I added that how in parentheses. If these bones can live, how is it that these bones are going to live? And that's what God says, or that's what God shows Ezekiel, beginning in verse 4. Prophesy over these bones. Preach to the bones. Speak to the bones. Oh, dry bones, he says, hear the word of the Lord. Ezekiel is called to do what he can do. This is all you can do, Ezekiel. He's got these bones in the valley. I'm telling you, speak to these bones. And so Ezekiel does. He obediently speaks it. Verse 7, so I prophesied, what's the use? But God says to do it, so I'm doing it. So he says, I prophesied as I was commanded, and there was a sound, a rattling, the bones coming together, sinews, flesh, skin, but there's no life. And so God gives him a second command there in verse uh, 9. Prophesy to the breath. Speak to the wind. That word breath is translated in the Old Testament. It's, it's throughout the Old Testament. It's breath, it's wind, and it's spirit. Same word. Anytime you see the Spirit of God, it's this word. Breath, it's this word. Spirit, it's uh, uh, wind, it's the same word. But he says prophesy to the breath. Notice how often, notice the redundancy here. Prophesy to the breath, prophesy, O son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on the slain that they may live. There's the second command. Speak to the bones, Ezekiel. That's what he can do. He says, now call for the spirit, call for the wind. Ezekiel can't do what has to be done to bring the bones to life. 
You can't bring the life-giving breath to the people. The Lord must send the Holy Spirit in response to the Word to bring life. The Spirit gives the power of life, uh, the breath that comes builds a great army. A picture of the restoration of Israel after their Babylonian captivity. The Spirit gives the life through which their regeneration as a nation happens and Ezekiel is the means through whom the power is brought to bear as he brings the word. Verse 11, then Paul wants to make, uh, Paul, then God wants to make sure that Ezekiel understands what's gone on. Verse 11, then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost and we are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves, raise you up, raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you, raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it declares the Lord. So the current condition, hopeless, cut off from the presence of God. All life is gone. This vision and then this preaching of Ezekiel is to give the people of Israel a strong, a good understanding of the seriousness of their sin. The consequences of their sin is their lifeblood has been sucked away. And they've lost the land. But there's hope for the future. They're raised, they'll be raised to new life. They'll return to their land. Not based on what they do, but on what God does. And God's determined to save His people. Oh, my people. I'll raise you up. So the promise of new life and Return to the land is by God's grace alone. Uh, 37 is about God's work or the vision of God's work, recreating them as uh, Ezekiel speaks the word. The spirit comes. They've been justly judged, righteously judged, handed over to death because of their sins. And humanly speaking, there's no hope. But with God, all things are possible. 36, they're the end of, uh, or in verses 26 and 27, 28 of Ezekiel indicate, really, it's more than just the nation of Israel that is restored. It's the Old Testament prophecies fulfilled in Christ. Verse 20. Six, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove your, the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. Be careful to obey uh, my rules. In Christ, this new spirit-filled 
Israel of God will come into being uh, an identity not based anymore on ethnic, ethnicity, or origin of life, or circumcision, or the old Israel, but by faith in Christ. The power of the gospel applied by the Spirit. Israel was dead. They were decomposed, only dry bones in the sun. Physically alive, but no life. Cut off from the presence and the power of God. And that's the spiritual condition we all share as we come into this world. In Ephesians chapter 2, I'm going to go to a number of scriptures. You can write them down and listen, or you can try to keep up. I have more message than I have time this morning. You know, when you just sit around for a few months and let somebody else do the preaching, things accumulate. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, it's time, uh, you have an opportunity. Uh, I'll do my best to get you to Sunday school on time. Uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, you were dead in trespasses and sins, just like Israel. All right? Drop down to verse 11. At that time, therefore, remember that at one time, when you were dead in trespasses and sin, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember, you were at that time, here's our condition, without Christ. We're separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, Strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without Christ in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And we go back to verse 12. We're no longer separated from Christ. We're no longer alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. We're no longer strangers to the covenants of promise. We have hope now and we're no longer without God in the world. That's the grace of God. We're brought to life. Um, We all share this dead in trespasses and sin by nature. And the question is, now can these bones live? Today, can these bones live? Uh, And, of course, the answer is yes. Just as it was when Paul was writing about what happened 500 years before in the valley. For us, 2,500 years ago in the valley. Yes. Colossians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. And I'm inverting them for uh, just for my purpose. (laughs) Hopefully it will help. You were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. You who were dead, God made alive together with Christ. In Christ there's life for those who are spiritually dead. And so how is this life received? Does everybody have it since Jesus died on the cross? And the answer is no. So how is this life received? Having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised Christ from the dead. We share 
with what Christ first experienced for us, his death on the cross and the resurrection to life. I'm crucified with Christ, Paul says, yet I live, not I, but Christ lives in me. We've been brought from death to life, according to Colossians chapter 2. In the same way the dry bones were brought to life, the Spirit of God must do His work, must do what only He can do, bring the new life to us, and He does it through our union with Christ. God uses people as His instruments. Ezekiel speak to the bones. They're dead. And then he uses his spirit. God, the Holy Spirit, accomplishes what we can't do. What only he can do. Uh, So how does the spirit work in the conversion of man? In the conversion of lost sinners? Let me just say, these are doctrines that are typically for the saints. Wednesday night, we talked about faith without repentance as wasted faith. Faith that does not include repentance toward God is not saving faith. But I didn't know that the night I was saved. I I couldn't explain the doctrine of repentance, but I had to turn from my sin. These are doctrines for the saints here, understanding the work of the Spirit. We learn it through His Word. Don't have to be able to explain it to be saved. But these are things are true of every Christian, everyone who is saved. This is what the Holy Spirit does in their life. May take a while to learn that. But this is what happens when the Lord saves us. The Father, of course, uh, authors, if you will, designs redemption. Then God the Son comes down and accomplishes redemption by living a perfect life, dying on the cross for our sins, being raised from the dead and then ascended to the right hand of the Father. And that redemption that Jesus accomplishes that was designed by God is applied to each life by the Holy Spirit. And so how does he do that? How does he apply the salvation that Jesus accomplished in his work through his perfect person? Well, first he does it. I'm, I'm going to list four ways. There's more than that, but I'm going to list four ways. Effectual calling. God calls us. It's an inward call that the Spirit brings to us, and it has the desired effect. You know, uh, Corey and I, and then some of the elders occasionally, and the teachers of Sunday school, we always, we are constantly calling people to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. This this call to repent, call to trust Christ. Um, Some people answer that call, some people don't. You know, it's this external call, it's this human call, call of the gospel. And some people resist it, some people answer it. But at God's appointed time, according to the confession 
at God's appointed time, those who are predestined to eternal life are effectually called by God's word and his spirit out of a state of death into spiritual life, into grace, into salvation. Paul says that those who are predestined, those whom he predestined, he called. So only those who are predestined receive this inward call. Not just a man or a woman or someone saying, do this, repent, trust Christ. But that inward call, whereas where the Spirit does that mysterious work, And we know that it's an effectual call because those whom he called, he justified. Everyone called is saved. Effectual call. The inward call of the Spirit of God on the dead bones. The the Word of God comes, the confession says, the Spirit takes that Word and makes life, brings life to the dead bones. It's a secret work. It's a supernatural work. It's, it, it's an immediate work. The Spirit works an inward change of nature, changes the desires of our hearts, takes away a heart of stone, as we saw there in Ezekiel, gives us a heart of flesh with a new heart and a new will. We're now inclined to go toward God, to the things of God. And we respond in faith and repentance, which are both given to us in this effectual call that comes. Until the Spirit does this, till the Spirit gives life, we're dead in trespasses and sin. We're passive in this effectual call. God the Spirit alone is at work. It doesn't happen because of anything God sees in us. Nothing we do Uh, can prepare us to be effectually called, but we're enabled to answer God's call and embrace grace by the same power that raised Christ from the dead. That's the first thing he does. And I'm not talking at first chronologically. I'm talking about first in my notes. Uh, These essentially are simultaneous, but they'll all be present in the conversion of the soul of a person. Second is regeneration. Um, The Holy Spirit applies redemption by giving us new birth. We're born again. You know, that, that phrase that's come to mean very little anymore. But we're born again. We're regenerate. The work of the Spirit on spiritually dead persons people as he makes them alive. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, 4 and 5. God, this is where he says in verse 1, 2, 3, we're dead in trespasses and sin. We walked according to the course of this world. We thought we were doing our own thing and the devil had us under his thumb. But God, being rich in mercy, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ, implanting this new life in the soul of man. It's what the Spirit does to make the external call 
repent and believe, effectual. The Spirit of God gives us new birth, gives us spiritual life. And so no longer is it just an effectual call that you walk out the door and forget about it until next week. And you say, oh, that's a broken record of those guys standing up there. Uh, say the same thing week after week. But when the uh, regeneration comes, that, eff- that external call becomes effectual. And all of a sudden, there's a response to God and his word. Uh, Titus 3, 5, Christ saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. So the appeal to repent and believe is answered once this regeneration comes because the new life within enables us to understand spiritual truth. I don't know how often I heard the gospel before the Lord saved me one night. I have no idea. I don't remember ever hearing it. Surely I had in my 21 years. I don't remember ever hearing it. God gave me ears to hear. That's the work of the Spirit. And though regeneration and effectual call are connected, again, uh, they're distinct. Regeneration precedes the effective call. Those who reject the gospel are not born again. Um, they're not spiritual. They have no inclination to answer the call. The things of Christ mean very little to them. But to those who've been regenerated, those who've been brought to new life, the things of Christ mean everything. We say, all I have is Christ. I need nothing else. Nothing else. They mean everything to us. We're new creatures in Christ as a result of the Spirit's work. Unless one is born again, he can't see the kingdom of God. We enter the kingdom of God. Members, a new disposition of soul. We're given a new heart with new desires to follow God. Lord, open Lydia's heart to pay attention to what Paul was saying. He gave her new life. And she could now hear the truth. And as a result, her whole household believed and was baptized. The call to repent toward God and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ is answered in as a result of the regeneration of the dead bones. Regeneration is not conversion. That will follow. Uh, It's the starting point, regeneration is. God's initial act is sovereign. It's immediate. It's instant. No one's ever uh, partially born again. Um, We talk about partial births in our culture. No such thing spiritually. Regeneration is not the fruit or the result of faith. Regeneration precedes faith. Regeneration provides faith. Uh, We don't cooperate with the Holy Spirit. We don't decide to be born again. 
God chooses to regenerate us before we choose to embrace him. So regeneration plants the seed. Now, conversion is the result of the planting. Regeneration is done to us by God. Conversion, once we're regenerate, conversion includes repentance and faith. We must repent. We must put our faith in Christ. Yes, they're gifts from God. But God doesn't believe for us. God gives us the faith to believe in Christ. Regeneration is the work of God alone by His Spirit. Conversion is turning from sin to holiness. It's evidence of regeneration. Not everybody defines conversion in the same way. I'm using conversion as the three-legged stool of uh, Uh, regeneration, repentance, and faith. In regeneration, we're passive. In conversion, we're called and we come. We come to Christ. After God's Spirit makes us alive, we do choose. We do act. We cooperate in that sense. We have to repent. True conversion consists of repentance and faith. Both are necessary. If one is missing, there is no conversion to Christ. The life of regeneration will show itself in the turning of conversion. So we have effectual call, regeneration, conversion. And just one last one that we'll talk about is our union with Christ. We are united to Christ through our conversion to Him. Uh, It's a spiritual, uh, the one joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with Him. It's uh, an intimate one. Uh, In Ephesians chapter 5, when Paul talks about marriage, he says there's this profound mystery built into the institution of marriage, and that is... It's a mystery between Christ and the church. The one flesh relationship of marriage pictures the spiritual union, one flesh relationship that believers have with Christ. It's living. It's a vital union. Uh, we no longer, I no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. It's universal. Every called, regenerate, uh, and converted Christian is in union with Christ. It's an unbreakable union. We don't go in and out of this union. It's uh, once and forever. And it happens by the special work of the Holy Spirit. The work of the Holy Spirit produces it. He made us alive together with Christ as a result. Faith has risen in our hearts, which is an indispensable part. What you can do in Paul's letters in particular, you can follow the with Christ, with him, as he talks about his people. (laughs) Only as faith becomes active that we become aware of this union and our regeneration and all other things concerning our salvation. Lord Jones says that. We're united to Christ. The consequences... We're united to Christ as our, uh, here's a technical term, maybe federal head. In Adam, all die. 
Adam is our federal head as we come into this world. Everything that has to do, uh, 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 what he did applies to us. He represented us in the garden. He represented us perfectly. Now our union with Christ, all that he has done becomes ours. He's the source of our spiritual life, Paul says. He became wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. We died with him, we're buried with him, we're raised with him, we're seated with him even now today in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's our position in Christ. That's how God sees us. All these things are true of every believer. What we need to do is consider it to be true and so and live accordingly as the Spirit continues to sanctify us if we want to advance toward maturity in faith. We're adopted. Second, first, we're united to Christ as our federal head. Second, we're adopted as sons and daughters. We're heirs of God and joint heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ. We have an inheritance waiting for us in heaven, and we've been given a down payment, the indwelling Spirit of God. In the meantime, and finally, we have a fellowship with God in Christ. And this rich spiritual transformation of life will follow as He, the Spirit, conforms us to the image of His Son from glory to glory, from one stage of glory to the next stage of glory. And so all the graces of the gospel flow to us because we're in Christ. We're justified, we're being sanctified. We're loved as adopted children. We're forgiven. We have eternal hope. Union with Christ. Our union with Christ is the fountainhead of, from which every blessing flows. And it's the work of the Spirit in applying the redemption that Christ accomplished that brings us into that union with Christ. Just a couple of thoughts as we close. Applying this doctrine of the Spirit's work in salvation. If you're a believer, cherish and love the Spirit in His application of redemption. Know what the Spirit has done to you, in you, and through you. Praise Him for His works. He reveals the Son to us, and the Son takes us to the Father. There's only one way to the Father, and that's through the Son. But we won't come to the Son without the Spirit of God working in us to bring us to Him. Love Him for His work. And we get this Trinitarian communion that grows as we understand Father, Son, and Spirit involved in my life, your life, personally. And then second, so cherish and love the Spirit. Second, See the miracle of your salvation. Again, Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, if you're not amazed that you're saved, you're probably not a Christian. He says there's no such thing as ordinary Christians. Every Christian is a miracle of God. 
Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He come, came to make dead people live. Right? All I have is Christ. How to seek the Spirit for continued growth in your spiritual life. Don't look to the Spirit. Look to Christ. The Spirit hides Himself to put all our attention on the Son. If we seek the Spirit, we're liable to get bogged down in emotionalism. We seek Christ, and the Spirit shows us Christ. He will always glorify Christ. We seek Christ directly. And he reveals us, him to us in greater measure. When we look away from Christ, we'll be distracted. Devote yourself to meditate on the glory of Christ, and you'll be filled with the Spirit. The Spirit shows us the Son. The Son takes us to the Father. If you're not a Christian this morning, and the question comes then, How can these bones live? How can this happen? Well, um, as best I could this morning, by the help of the Spirit, uh, I've spoken to you who are the bones. If you're without Christ, you're the bones. Dry. Bleached, cut off from God. Uh, God is holy. God is righteous. God is just. He must deal with you dead in trespasses and sins. You are dead in sin. You're not righteous. There's none who are righteous. But we can never do what must be done. Together with me, call for the wind. We've spoken to the bones. You've heard the gospel. The Spirit must do His work. So call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. Call for the wind. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Repent toward God. Put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ alone, trusting nothing but Him. Think about your life, what your life is like. And the more often the word I comes up, you'll know you're on the wrong track. Christ. I don't know how many of you have seen the uh, Alistair Begg clip. Uh, I don't know how prominent it is. I saw it. Uh, He's talking about the thief on the cross. There's two of them. They're railing against Jesus. All of a sudden, one of them, hey, talking to his buddy, wait, uh, this we, we are suffering justly. 
He's done nothing wrong. Remember me when you... <laughs> remember me, Jesus. And he says, today you'll be with me in paradise. And Beg talks about, well, he gets up to heaven and he, why should I let you in? He says, do you understand the doctrine of regeneration? No, I don't know. I've never heard of it. What about justification by faith, by grace alone through faith? No, I don't know. What are you doing here? The man on the middle cross said I could come. All I have is Christ. Your only hope is Christ. Nothing about you will get you into glory. It'll only get you destruction eternally. You sh- we should not be led into heaven, but God, through Christ, has provided a way. Trust in Him and trust Him alone. Jesus is strong to save. Jesus is kind to save. We're going to sing a song. You have it in your worship guide, I think, page seven. Let me pray, and we will close with Jesus strong and kind. Father, I pray that any muddling up of the gospel you would clear up. Any misconceptions And Father, I pray you would send your spirit to those who don't know Christ. And we thank you that we have the promises from your word that Jesus is strong to save and he is kind to save sinners. It's in his name we pray. Amen.